Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. When we're looking at deals, boutique hotel deals for mom and pop boutique hotel deals, what we find is that, especially these mom and pop folks, like you, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of them don't keep good books. I and agree with that. for our banks to actually fund these deals, they want sometimes two years minimum PL statements. And if they don't have them, they have to sell it to us owner finance. They have to sell it to us creatively if they want to sell it. So it's actually in your favor. And you can come in and say, well, the banks will approve this. We can't fund this because y'all don't have solid books. So this is an, another alternative route. This is the best way that you can sell this property to us, which is via owner finance. So a lot of opportunities with those kind of sellers for sure. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Reports. Today, we are in Nashville, Tennessee, day three of the STR Wealth Conference, and I got one of my favorite investors in the space. We actually met, fun fact, a year ago at this same conference and we were actually hanging out in this very same airbnb <laughs> true facts. uh and now it's coming back full circle i've been trying Absolutely. to get him on my show for a little bit so i'm glad to finally have him on he's doing big things in the multifamily and boutique hotel space he was an engineer prior to this i got none other than tj tajani tj welcome to the show my man, man. I appreciate you brother thanks so much for having me man yeah it's full circle bro full circle being here this is same spot you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying so now nah, I appreciate you, bro. Love, yeah, love man. everything you've been doing too, man. Good pre- stuff, man. I appreciate you, man. So, so tell me, tell the listeners, like, what have you been up to lately? Oh man, so uh, 2023. Uh, you know, I made a decision last year that this is the year that we go bigger, and uh, I think one of the things that instead of more so focusing on assets that I can find, I focus on just building relationships, and I find that building relationships and growing those relationships is taking me a lot further than I even thought it would. So we're looking at a lot of dope deals right now, some bigger multifamily deals, some branded, what I like to consider flagship hotel deals as well that we're looking at. So there's definitely some things that works that honestly, I wish I could speak more on of what's coming, but no, it's, and what we're doubling down on is this boutique hotel space and more so focusing on multiple units, one location and uh, we found that just in our journey, I've been doing short-term rentals since 2017, been a real estate investor since 2014. We found that having multiple doors in one location uh, provides a lot more range in the short-term rental space. So you can serve people that are small groups. You can serve large groups as well. And uh, there's so many things that you can do. And so that's kind of what we're doubling down on. We got some dope stuff in the works. Along with that, our mastermind, I've literally structured my life to where I could dedicate my time to do two things with literally most of my time, which is buy more real estate assets and focus on my mastermind to where we're helping people get to six and seven figures in this real estate game, in the short-term rental game, and focusing also on acquisitions real estate, right? Because I think in 2023, you have to be able to understand and read the lines and see what's going on right now and understand that people's buying powers are dwindled due to high interest rates. Mm-hmm. As people's buying powers are dwindled, that means there's less houses that they can afford also means that houses are going to be staying on the market a lot longer. So this provides an amazing opportunity for you to come in with some creative financing opportunities, which is great because I've been doing creative finances since 2015, wholesaling creative financing deals. And so 
Now we're able to kind of combine that and cross-reference that and still exit with a short-term rental strategy. And I truly believe that creative financing and short-term rentals is one of the best intersections that you can be in in 2023 right now. And so that's something that we are focused on is just even with us in our in our business and also with our uh, students and our mastermind program focused on creative financing as well. So it's been it's been a heck of a journey so far. We're coming up on Q1. I'm about to get, about to get on Q2 here. Quick. Quickly. Yeah. Seems like even quicker than last year. It's crazy. Yeah. I but, agree uh, with yeah. I agree with you in that sense. Like, you know, I'm telling people right now, like, understand seller financing, creative financing right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Because with everything going on in the economy, you got bank collapses going on, the stock market's taking a big plummet. The dollar is 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 losing its value. They're yeah. going to be printing more money. You can't trust the banking system. And with all this stuff going on right now, and interest rates being so high, you better understand how to negotiate creative finance and seller finance right oh, that's now. Facts. So much to dig into, man, with everything that you're doing today. But real quick, I just wanted because that's such an important part of your story that's so unique. Is I just wanted to like share with the listeners, like TJ was working on the oil rigs as yeah. an engineer, like literally out in the middle. Was it the Pacific Ocean? Yeah, it was a uh, Gulf. In the golf. golf, yeah, and that's when he first started like getting the the itch for real estate investing and started Absolutely. learning about it. But I just wanted to like kind of hammer that point away because it's so unique. But you know, the fact that that was where the vision started, yeah, and you went from that to like where you are today is just so compelling and inspiring for the listeners out there. Man, yeah, absolutely. And it was it's interesting because I was literally at the face of the economy, the oil and gas economy, the subsea equipment that is used to build and produce crude oils and hydrocarbons. My job as an engineer was to write the procedures to fabricate them, write the procedures to install them, take them offshore to fabricate them, take them offshore and install them subsea. And so this was literally what I did. And it took 60, 70 percent of my time away from home. So while a lot of people would be offshore, you know, calling family and calling homes, I was calling sellers to try to see if they can sell me their property. And it was that same book that probably changed a lot of people's trajectory that rich dad, poor dad. Mm -hmm. I read it. Me too. I read it like three times while I was offshore for that one hitch. I was on a, I was on that hitch for four weeks. And once I read that book, that was the light bulb moment for me. And so I need to own some assets ASAP. Get me off this boat right now was the mindset after that. <laughs> and so and so I started off, you know, investing in real estate uh, on the side while I was doing while I was an engineer. Then I got into long term buying holds and we started doing long term buying holds. And that was interesting as well. And so then transition into tw uh, short term rentals. My goal when I was working as an engineer was to retire with 10 single family homes. I wanted 10 single family homes. And I was one walk away from my mm -hmm. engineering job. And so when I was laid off, I was halfway there. I had five. And so I made the decision to go all in to real estate instead of get back another job. I'm not going to sit here and glamorize it and act like it was a, just an easy decision. It was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do. It was actually challenging enough to where I decided I was going to not only go back to work, but get an MBA so I can get a better job. Mm. So I actually took my uh, GMAT. I scored pretty well. And I got into Rice University <laughs> to get an MBA. And so, but literally like- I didn't know I, this part of your story. Yeah, yeah. And But what's crazy is I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was like, man, you really going to go back to this job and you was going to give up on this real estate thing. It took a lot of soul searching. It really did. A lot of prayer, a lot of trying to figure out what the heck I'm supposed to be doing. But I decided to stay in the game. And I think for me, that was one of the most important lessons, not only because right now I wouldn't be here if I didn't make that decision. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. But deciding to stay in the game with all those failures, I mean, I had six figures saved up, over 200000 saved up for my job. And it was all gone within 
a year and a half. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, is that because you put it in the real estate? Forgot to put it in the real estate, okay. right? I did a couple flips that didn't go too well, yeah. right? And so I was like, yeah, forget this real estate thing. I'm gonna just go back and you know what I'm saying. And so that was for me was a challenging, challenging time. And but thankfully that I would decided to stay in the game because you realize that you really lose once you give up. And I truly believe that when you have a vision for yourself, when you know that it's something that you really want, you truly want, and it's something that resonates in your spirit, you have a vision for it. And I'm not talking about a dumb vision, like I'm gonna be president of the United States next next term, like dumb, but real something that resonates with you. Understand that God didn't give it to you for you not to also, for him to also not give you the ability to achieve it mm-hmm. at the same time. So. I decided to stay in the game because the vision and the conviction was so strong that I wanted to stay in this game. So you wanted it that bad. I wanted it that bad. That's how I felt. Too. <laughs> so as 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 tough as that was, it was honestly right now I wouldn't be here without making that decision. Yeah. And it honestly was the to me right now, especially my professional career, one of the best decisions I ever made. As hard as that was, was staying in the game of real estate. Yeah. And I love that you said initially your plan was, hey, I'm just going to buy 10 rental properties and then that's going to be like my retirement. Yeah. And initially when I got into real estate investing like yourself, I was working a day job as a federal employee doing air traffic control. But my initial thing was like, I'm just going to buy like one or two rental properties mm. and it was just going to be like a side hustle. I wasn't thinking three, four five steps ahead. Mm. But what I didn't realize is like just buying that first one gave yeah. me the confidence to buy the second. That's true. And then it gave me the confidence to do the next deal and then to do another deal, then to raise money, then to start a business. And then, you know, so all those little things give you the confidence to move forward. And then you look back three, four years later, you're like, holy cow, like that's it's crazy, right? To see the growth. So yeah. I just wanted to like, you know, circle back on that, but dude, such an inspiring yeah. story that you have. What are you guys buying today? I know you said you guys are doubling down on a bunch of different yeah. stuff, but like, what are you guys, what kind of asset are you, is TJ looking for today? So two different kind of assets that I'm looking for are, cause we're in the boutique hotel space. Uh, my very first boutique hotel was a conversion to a boutique hotel. It was one that was an apartment complex originally. So these have full units, full kitchens, full everything that remodeled, made beautiful, turned it from distress to amazing, converted that to a boutique hotel. So I'm looking for projects like that or properties that are boutique hotels or hotels that are already operational, have the zoning, no issues with that. They were likely built as a hotel. We're buying them as hotels. So, and and we evaluate them differently. The ones that we do the conversion on, we evaluate them as if they're traditional rentals because we want to always make sure that we have that safety net. But outside of that safety net, we want to buy it right. And I tell people, I don't care how you exit real estate. I don't care what strategy you do, whether you wholesale, whether you flip this thing, whether you are doing Airbnb, whatever the case may be, you make your money when you buy it. That's mm-hmm. when you make your money. So we want to make sure that we buy it right no matter if it's going to be a short-term rental, but because the original process or the original thing for that building was to be a traditional, we're going to buy it as such, and then we'll run it as a short-term rental. We'll convert it to a boutique hotel. The ones that are already hotels, now we're going to evaluate those based on the income that they bring in, mm-hmm. right? And so cap rates and yeah, and uh, your NOI and the debt service coverage ratio, all that stuff. And so those are the two kind of assets that we're looking at, looking for right now. We're looking for them in Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Michigan. And Arizona okay. as well. That's a wide range of different markets. Are yep. you guys like what within those states are you looking for? Like what some markets are you looking for within those states? So I like those states because of how friendly they are for investors, how friendly they are for business, how friendly they are for landlords. 
and along with that, just those are just genuinely good markets for real estate. Mm-hmm. And so those are pretty much what's drawn me to those 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 markets okay. for sure. So Michigan is different from Arizona, Texas, Florida. Mm-hmm. Why Michigan? So Michigan, I just know it has a, like a lot of dope opportunities. Yeah. And Michigan, just the kind of assets there, the kind of real estate there, they have multifamily assets there because people want duplexes and fourplexes and stuff like that, but not a lot of markets have a lot of bunch of those. So I like markets that not only we, we look at what kind of laws that there are for sure, but we also consider like what kind of real estate market is it? So that we do know that the opportunities there for real estate and the type of assets, they're there as well for yeah. sure. I love that you say that, and I I agree in the sense that like some markets just do not have a lot of small multifamily, let's say 20 units and under. But on the flip side, if you go to like an area like Cincinnati, for example, I I own some multifamily out there. There, uh, For whatever reason, there's just a high volume of small multifamily Mm. out there, 20 units and below. And so if that's what you're targeting, um, you go into an area like Cincinnati, you're going to have a ton of deal flow in in a certain price point that's affordable. But I love that. So that said, what dollar amount are you guys looking to buy? And then in terms of unit count, like what what mm. unit count are you guys looking at? Do you guys manage these things remotely? So the dollar amount that we're looking at is actually crazy because we've kind of, especially this is what's, what's dope about when you build relationships with people, it opens up opportunity. And it, not only that, it opens up your mind to go bigger, especially when they're doing a lot of big stuff. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I was like, all right, you know, I want to stay under under five mil. That was kind of the initial, the initial situation, but man, we're looking at deals, 20 mil, looking at deals, 10 mil, looking at $30 million deals. You know what I mean? So we're definitely open to that, but we are still open to even those deals that fall under the, the, the parameters that we we're looking at previously. But um, that's kind of the price point. And as far as unit count, man, so we're looking at deals, 100, 100 units plus. We're looking at, um, and these are already hotels, by the way. And we're looking at deals that are, well, I know for, for me, I want to be at at least 20 doors. We're looking at about 20 doors. I, it used to be about 15 doors we're looking at. But now we're looking at about 20 doors. But I wanted to cap it, right, from a, as a boutique hotel, mm-hmm. especially one that you, that was an apartment that we're doing a conversion. I like to cap that around 60 doors. Why is for that? Some, because when you have so many units that we are doing a conversion on, now these are full, full units, we want to keep them boutique. Now, if they are, like we've looked at deals that are 200 units plus, we're not going to convert that entire building that is an apartment complex to it. We'll probably do a mix in, in that situation, right? So for me, if I'm going to keep a boutique and actually provide the kind of experience that I want and actually provide a brand, we want to have that entire building encompass that business model. So we like to cap it at around 60. We'll go up to 80, but I like to probably stay around 60. And so, but the ones that are already hotels, those are pretty much self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that space. I mean, you know, 20 to 60, because generally speaking in the multifamily side and hotel side, hotel side is it's it's too big for the individual mom and pop type of investor yeah. or new investor. And then it's too small for the institutional investors. And so you have a little bit less competition, yeah, which I like. like that gap there. Yeah. Yeah. You have that gap. And so how are you guys operating these these hotels and, and these these deals? Hey guys, real quick, I hope that you're finding value in this show. If you could do me a huge favor and drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you're listening on, it would mean the world to me. Also, if you know of anyone that would potentially benefit from this podcast, feel free to share it with them so we can help more people build wealth through real estate investing. Now back to the show. So it's, it's dope because now some boutique hotels, in terms from an operation perspective, you could have somebody like an on-site manager there. There's some that don't require it. 
we found that the ones that we're doing conversions on don't require an on-site manager per se. I mean, we're able to manage those remotely for the most part. And then the actual hotels, depending on the setup, depending on the units, actually all the ones that we're looking at right now, they actually definitely do require, would require an on-site manager. And especially if it's remote, it definitely makes the, makes the management a whole lot easier. So there's almost like two different kind of realms, right? So you can mm-hmm. have it to where uh, you don't require an on-site manager. Then you can have it to where you do require an on-site manager. Even the branded ones that we're looking at right now, they all have to have an on-site manager, right? So it just kind of depends on the asset type, depends on the location and things like that. Yeah. So you mentioned you're you're going after not just independent, but some franchise hotels. I don't know too much about the franchise model. Yeah, the, Talk yeah. to me a little bit about that and and, yeah. and why are you going after franchise all of a sudden? You know, I think about my my two things that wanted me to start going after those kind of hotels. For one, I love getting inspirations when I go stay at nice traditional hotels um, because they, they, especially from the design perspective, from an operations perspective, I love getting inspired by them to run my own boutique hotels. And so that's kind of one thing that from, from it. And then the other thing is just the relationships that I've been building and people that I've been able to connect with that are in that space that are showing me the numbers and showing me the kind of opportunities that that um, that are there as well. And you also kind of have to think about the fact that Airbnb, it's almost like like just another brand. That's how these hotel owners and uh, CEOs of this Marriott's and the Hilton's, that's how they look at Airbnb. It's like another chain of hotels. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Because those brands, they pay the hotels a fee anywhere between 10 to 15% of the revenue that comes in. Wow, is that's, it that high sometimes? Yes, yeah, that high. Yeah, it's that high sometimes. 10 yeah. to 15%, 10 to 15% of, the percent, yeah. of the gross revenue. Of the gross revenue goes, yeah. Wow. But you think about it, you know, in Airbnb, for example, when somebody wants to travel, they need somewhere to stay. And Airbnb is there because now they know where to go to get set accommodations to travel and they go to one place. That's why I like Airbnb. So you can argue that the marketing is kind of done for you from, an air, from a short-term rental perspective on mm-hmm. Airbnb. Then on the Marriott side or the Hilton side, there's people that are loyal to Marriott. There are people that are loyal to Hilton. And and essentially, they have the customer base already as well. And so you could argue that they handle a lot of the marketing for you in terms of getting traffic and getting people to your hotels. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they look at Airbnb like that. But I'll tell you, on this flagship side, on the branded hotel side, you don't hear about it just being like a traditional asset for that normal people just buy. And now that I'm in getting into this world, I can see why. It's because it literally is a relationship based. You have to relationship your way into it. And I mean that. Um, so it's what do you it's, mean when you say that? Because like, for for example, we're, we're looking at a couple of Marriott deals right now. Once we put one on a contract, you, know, you take about 30 to 45 days to actually get approved by Marriott to run it. You know what I mean? And also on the flagship side, they also have requirements. These brands have certain requirements. Every five to seven years, you have to remodel the, the hotel. You have to. So if you're not being a good steward of your capital, if you're not putting that money away to make sure that you're allocating funds to bring it up to standard because they have a standard that they have to meet. Mm-hmm. And I can always and I can tell you, too, that's one thing that the hotels have over Airbnb is because they have a standard. And no matter which Hilton you stay at, no matter which Hampton Inn you stay at, you can get that same breakfast, same, same eggs for breakfast, the same bagels. Mm-hmm. You know, that same room is going to look very, very similar very consistent experience that you get with hotels and with Airbnb it's complete opposite. It's not so consistent, right? right? Because these are individual hosts and you might stay at this host with this host to have a great experience here. And then you might not have a bad, ex- good, good experience with this host. And you may have a great experience with this host. Then your next three experiences were decent or, or, or bad. And then now the inconsistency is kind of what's messing us up because now when people decide that, you know what, Airbnb is too inconsistent as from a guest perspective, they're going to go stay at a hotel 
And that's how we lose them. And I think that's actually a bigger issue than Airbnb bus. I mm-hmm. think that's a bigger issue. And so because a lot of times when we lose them to hotels, we're not getting those guests back a lot of times. Yeah. So that's why I actually like teaching this short-term rental business because we actually need more competent hosts in this platform. We have a lot of hosts that are not doing it right. A lot of hosts that don't prioritize the guest experience, which provides inconsistent experience for a lot of guests and we lose them to hotels. I think if we can address the quality issue on Airbnb, we'll actually actually make the entire short-term rental industry a lot better. And that's why I love people that are doing this business the right way, but also educating other people how to do this the right way. Because trust me, there's no shortage of good hosts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bad ones. Why are there so many bad hosts? Is it is it because this Airbnb bus? What, what's the reason behind that? I think a lot of I, I think because of the barrier to entry. When you think about arbitrage, think about it. Like all you got, all I got to do is just rent the property, and I'm off to the races. Mm-hmm. That's all I got to do. It's a pretty low barrier to entry, and because of that, it's a good thing. Yeah, there's low barrier to entry, but the bad thing is now it's going to be flooded. A lot of people are going to want to do it. Just between 2000, during COVID, 2020, and last year, 2022, the number of Airbnbs that hit the marketplace in the United States increased by, what, 60%? That's a lot of listings that hit the marketplace uh, during COVID and post-COVID. And you can imagine probably 80% of that, of that 60%, are just on it to just earn a quick buck on the platform. Mm-hmm. They don't understand systems. They don't understand processes. They don't understand how to handle security issues. They don't know how to understand how to manage the inventory. They don't know how to put the guest experience first. And so that is what caused such an influx of listings for one, but also a lot of people doing it that aren't doing it the right way. Yeah. No, I, I hear you on that. I, I feel like, you know, the days of just buying a four bedroom house and throwing Ikea furniture in there. Yeah, you used to be able to make money doing yeah. that, but you do that today, especially in, in more competitive markets like yeah. Scottsdale, Arizona, for example, like you're going to get crushed. Oh, you're, I mean, you got to think about the You got to think about the fact that, you know, Airbnb has been around, what, 28, 2008, it's really tw- 2007. That's almost 20 years. It's almost 20 years ago. And times have changed. And mm-hmm. with time changes, expectations also change. And so people expect more. See, back then, even when I got started, 2017. I could have just picked up a couch off the street, mm-hmm. picked up a mattress mm-hmm. and furnished my unit and probably still would have been done pretty well because Airbnb was still so new. It was still such a thing to do. Now, in terms of time that it's been around, now it hasn't been so new, but in terms of the market penetration it's had, it's been still been pretty new. And so then essentially times have changed. So now expectations have changed. And so now people expect more. Yeah. People expect nicer stuff. They expect a better experience. And a lot of people still have tactics and and habits from the previous times a few years ago, thinking that they're going to be very successful right now. And that's just not the case. you got to be able to understand that if you're not seeing what's going on and pivoting and making sure that you're prioritizing this guest experience even better mm-hmm. than you were before, then, you, then you'll be a victim to this Airbnb bus. Absolutely. I agree. I, I love the um, the finishes and the renovations that you're you're doing to these these properties. I watch a lot of your content on social media, and I encourage all the listeners to go follow uh, TJ on on Instagram. He puts a lot of good content Appreciate out there. That, but um, yeah, a lot of your finishes that you're doing to these units are amazing. Typically, what is your bread and butter post close in terms of renovation packages? So, you know, when you do it in the short term rental space, you know, when I was doing a lot of flips and stuff. There was packages that we had. It's like, you know, it was really the same paint, same baseboards, same trim, same doors, same door handles. Very, very similar. And it worked. It was very, very good for our business because everything was set. Even that way, we're actually able to, even if we needed to bring a new contract in, our packages are set. We can run to play. With the short-term rental side, I find that we have to come in and 
really pay attention to each project. Each building deserves its own kind of uniqueness at this point. And uh, so I'll tell you what we're doing one right now. The one that we just wrapped up, we did porcelain tile, had never done porcelain tile before on floors. Um, it was, it's really, really nice. I love, love getting like inspiration for like hotels, like I mentioned earlier. So I actually incorporate a lot of stuff in my design, even the furnishing side of it. Like I noticed when I go to hotels, you know, not a lot of hotels have an under the bed. There's no under the bed. <laughs> you can't even put because why? Because they don't want that to get dirty, and it actually makes the unit last longer and less. It makes the cleaning easier for the cleaners, and and so we start implementing stuff like that. I noticed that you can't really move. Some of the lamps are mounted, and you can, some a lot of the furniture are kind of fixed, and 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 you can't really move them around. And I'm like, man, okay, let's let's do something like that. So we we get furniture in our hotels now where we actually bolt them, and our, our desks are bolted to the walls, and you can't really move them. And we find that. It makes the listing last longer in terms of from an aesthetic, from tear down and wear and tear perspective, just as well as the cleaning perspectives make things a lot easier uh, for the cleaners as well. So when it comes to actual like going in with the rehab, it's kind of case by case now. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not as cookie cutter as it was when we we're doing the other kind of real estate strategies. Yeah, I love yeah. that, man. It's interesting that you say the, the built in desks and the built in furnishings, because I think also from an aesthetic standpoint, like if I'm a guest, I think it just looks cleaner. Oh, yeah. And it just looks more oh, yeah. done up, if you would, just more dressed up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so most of your, your real estate that you guys own right now, which, which market is it? Is it primarily Houston? Primarily Houston, yeah. It is, but okay. it is a goal. I mean, it's happening. Uh, we're yeah. probably going to be a, probably about at least two more markets this year. Okay. Yeah. Tell, tell me what you guys own right now. So right now, two boutique hotels. We're working on actually working on a third one in Houston. That one's 20 doors. First one's 13. Next one's eight. Then there's, uh, let's see, four duplexes and a four unit and one, two, three, four, six single family houses. I love that. Yeah, yeah man. I, I was at um, BPCon uh, back in October in San mm-hmm. Diego. And we were just talking about the Airbnb bust. Literally every other person I met at BBCon was like, I own short-term rentals. I have three or four Airbnbs. They're like, Rich, I cannot wait to do my first boutique mm-hmm. hotel. And so I think with all these people that have been buying Airbnbs over the last two years, I mean, everyone on the internet's teaching it in all these markets becoming oversaturated. I just think the next natural progression for all of these people, and these are all relatively new real estate investors that are kind of young, millennial, Gen Zers. I think the next natural progression for all of them is going to be boutique hotels because mm-hmm. if you already understand how to operate three or four Airbnbs in two or three different markets, you already have the fundamentals to operate a boutique hotel. You just need to learn the commercial aspect of it, Yes, how to underwrite these deals, how to analyze them, how to get commercial lending, how to raise private capital, how to work with SEC attorneys, right? So there's all these other like intricacies baked in, but from an operation standpoint, the fundamentals transition over pretty smoothly. And it's kind of a sexy thing, yeah. right? You know, like going and buying a, you know, a C-class multifamily apartment and just doing the long-term stuff, it's not necessarily sexy, but going and buying an old tired boutique hotel in a good location, renovating it, bringing it back to life, making it beautiful again, and then operating it under this new model to where you can market on Airbnb, you can market on Verpo and increase the revenue. That's sexy to a lot of people. So I believe it's going to be the next big thing. And this is why I tell everyone, like, it's important to learn this stuff now Mm -hmm. before it becomes the next big thing. What are your thoughts behind that? 
Learning to become a successful real estate investor can take a lot of time and dedication, which some people just don't have. If you're one of these individuals, this doesn't mean you can't invest in real estate. My company, Summers Capital, is buying a bunch of boutique hotels right now, and you can invest with us in these deals without having to do any of the work. Our team sources the deals, we secure the lending, we take care of all the renovations, and we even handle all the day-to-day operations with our in-house management company, making it truly hands-off and passive for our investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to Summers summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. I agree with it hundred percent. I'm going to shamelessly say it because I believe it's true. I don't know if there was anybody that started talking about boutique hotels until I did. <laughs> so on social media in January, back in 2021, I put out a video about how I'm transitioning my business to do boutique hotels because, and for me, just like you mentioned, it was a natural progression. We owned these duplexes that I bought remodeled and turned into short-term rentals. And I realized that, man, I started renting out not only just in each individual units of the duplex, but the whole building and charging more for it. And I said, man, I want more of one, more units in one location. For me, that was where the whole boutique hotel thing kind of sparked. And so I started like, how about I just buy apartments and convert those into boutique hotels? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where the natural progression, like you said, from an operation perspective, you have it dialed in. And I tell people, this is why the foundation of your business is very, very, very important. You have to get this down. You get, I like to say, get one, get it good. Then you scale it. Because if you scale on a broken system, that's when it's going to come tumbling down. When you scale on a solid foundation, man, you're going to be you're going to be solid. You're going to be good, and you're going to be able to remove yourself from a lot of these tasks. And so it was a kind of a natural progression. And then, yes, like you mentioned, now you have to understand how to buy an asset, how to buy a commercial asset. And one thing I tell people all the time: to make any real estate deal work, you need three very important things. You need the knowledge and experience. You need the time, and you need the money. The good news is that. If you can just come with one of those things, you can go out and source the other two. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend to get the knowledge and experience part down. Know how to analyze a deal. Know how to look at a deal, run the numbers and say, okay, this deal makes sense. Let me package this thing up and show investors what they could potentially make. Now you're getting into raising capital, right? Then things like getting your personal financial statement good to go. Things like knowing how to talk to banks and build a relationship with banks. Now, you, now you're working with lenders. Know how to analyze a deal. And watch how the money comes. The money will come once you know how to look at the deal, say this is a good deal, analyze the deal, run the numbers, and market this deal. Now you're getting into buying commercial assets. And which now when you just bring those two things together, man, it's a beautiful recipe for it's for you to grow a nice portfolio of boutique hotels for sure. I agree, man. And like one of the biggest differences is with the hotels is they're valued like commercial real estate. Yes. So they're not valued based on sales comps. They're valued generally speaking, based on the income that they produce. So net operating income divided by the cap rate equals value. And so I think once you can really understand that concept, it makes it really a no-brainer because it gives you full control over this property and your hands are not tied to the volatility of the real estate market like you are with residential real estate, which I love. You know, for example, I just did a reel on this recently, but like, you know, if we can go in and buy a boutique hotel, and we're going to operate this hotel remotely, we know we can eliminate the expense of having a payroll of an on-site manager. Mm -hmm. And let's say that's $50,000. If you divide that expense, the $50,000, which is going to drop to the bottom line, divided by 8% cap rate, you're increasing the value of the property by (laughs) $675,000. And that's not even to include the additional revenue that you are going to uh, achieve by bringing the manager's unit online Mm -hmm. for additional revenue. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you look at it that way, it's like, man, 
you can't do that in the yeah. residential side. Yeah. You know? And I'm going to even add some sauce to that too. This is also why we were talking about credit financing earlier. I truly believe just, just from what we've seen, our experience, credit financing is easier with bigger deals. Mm-hmm. With boutique hotels, Lazy. it's easier. You know, when I when I negotiate a sub two deal with us on a single family, this is an agreement between me and the seller. Now, the bank is not necessarily involved. Yes, there's a thing called the due on sale clause that people are worried about. We know that they're likely not going to call the loan due as as long as they're getting their payments made made right. So now, on the boutique hotel side, the multifamily side, larger commercial assets, it's an agreement between me, the seller, and the bank. The bank's completely involved. <laughs> they know exactly what's going on. Matter of fact, we looking at uh, the, the seller called. There's a deal we're looking at right now. Seller called the bank, said, hey, is this loan assumable? Bank said, yeah, the loan is assumable. Okay, great. Well, let's have a meeting. Got a buyer. So literally, we end up meeting myself, seller, bank. And it's a lot easier. There's no, they're completely aware of what's going on. They're compl- because the value is based on the income that it produces. Mm-hmm. And so they qualify me just based on my experience and what I have going on. Okay, then this loan can be assumable, right? So Actually, creative financing is another thing that I think people should really, really learn how to do from an acquisition perspective, because it actually gets easier with the bigger deals that you do for sure. I agree with that. And, you know, just with my experience on the multifamily side and then now being in in boutique hotels, there's just a higher percentage of mom and pop sellers right now in the boutique hotel space. And a lot of these sellers, they bought 30, 40 years ago with seller finance. So they're already used to it. They're already expecting to sell on seller finance. And because they bought 30, 40 years ago, a lot of them, they have so much equity, they don't even have debt. Yep. And so they're willing to carry yep. an, a nice loan back. And you get to negotiate your own terms. You get to negotiate your interest rate, the closing costs. Typically, there's not going to be any closing yep. costs. You're not going to pay points up front. And there's not going to be a prepayment penalty. Like You can negotiate whatever debt you want, yep. which is something that you can't do if you're going through traditional bank finance. Man, and you know, I'm asking sauce of that too because <laughs> when we when we're looking at deals, boutique hotel deals from mom and pop boutique hotel deals, what we find is that especially these mom and pop folks like you like you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. a lot of them don't keep good books. I and agree with that. for our banks to actually fund these deals, they want sometimes 2 years minimum P&L statements. And if they don't have them, they have to sell it to us owner finance. They have to sell it to us creatively if they want to sell it. So it's actually in your favor and you can come in and say, well, the banks will approve this. We can't fund this because y'all don't have solid books. So this is an, an alternative route. This is the best way that you can sell this property to us, which is via owner finance. So a lot of opportunities there with those kind of sellers for sure. What would you tell someone right now that was new and they wanted to get into the short-term rental game? Would you say, go get a couple Airbnbs, get your feet wet, and then transition to boutique hotels? Or would you say skip the Airbnbs, skip the single family, and go straight into your first boutique hotel deal? If you're trying to be an operator, one of the things that's very important is understanding who you are and your identity as an operator. What kind of operator are you? What kind of standard are you set for your company, core values that you set for your company? You have to cut your teeth in some of these units to figure that part out and really understand that if you're not operating, if you haven't been an operator, what chance do you have running a boutique hotel by yourself? I mean, or in terms of, especially if you want to self-manage it, if you haven't had the experience or even managing single family or any other type of asset classes, even if you arbitrage it or manage it for somebody else's, if you don't have that experience because the management component is where the foundation is laid. And so I'm not sure if you should just be jumping to boutique hotels. Now, I say that, but I also say when people come to me and talk to me that are already operators, these are people that are in the game already. They said, man, TJ, love what you're doing. 
that's like a five year goal for me. I want to be, I want like my, I'll have a, I want to get a boutique hotel like within the next five years. I'm like, why does it have to take five years though? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Why does it have to take that long? It doesn't have to take that long. I like to move fast. (laughs) You know, let's move quickly. Exactly. 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 So same here. But at the same time, if you're trying to actually build a company that you're going to be able to manage your boutique hotels, my advice, and some might feel different about it. Some people might feel different, but my advice is to cut your teeth on some smaller assets first before getting into boutique hotels. But it shouldn't be a five-year goal either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's more so about, we talked about that natural progression, and I th- think that natural progression is very important. You'll know, and based on your experience, you'll know when it's time to go ahead and make that progression for sure. Yeah. And how do you, how do you know it's time to go make that progression, to make uh, that jump? For me, it was when I had the smaller multifamily deals, I realized that I, there's going to be a ton of more opportunities with the more units that I have. And we have been running this and our identity as an operator was pretty honed in. And so then we felt, okay, now it's time to go ahead and start doing bigger deals. Could I have done, got into boutique hotels sooner? Possibly. But of course, just growing my business and it's sometimes you don't necessarily see it until you've reached a certain point. Mm -hmm. So you may not have like this big glaring thing that happens for you to know, yeah, it's time for me to to go bigger. But at the same time, if you are somebody that you just feel like, you know what, I know who I am as an operator, it's time to go bigger. For someone that's still working a day job and their ultimate goal is to get into real estate investing full time, mm-hmm. I know you quit your job and went, went all in on this, but you were doing it on the side initially. Would you suggest for that person to just burn the boats and go all in? Mm. Or would you say build it on the side and once you have enough cash flow, then go all in? So I had a plan, and, but, but I was pushed out. My plan prematurely. The plan would have worked fine. It would have been a nice natural progression and it would have been easier and I would have built a nice amount of safety net to do so. I wanted to be financially free. I didn't necessarily even want to make as much as I was making per se. I just wanted to make sure all my bills and I don't have to, if I don't have to do anything else, I'm not working again. I don't have, my bills are good. I mean, down to the every bill that I that I have. That was more so what I was looking to do. To me, if you can put yourself in position to where you're technically financially free, just meaning that your expenses are taken care of by the income that you're bringing in because of the skill that you've invested in yourself, then, okay, go ahead and take that step and you can naturally walk away and and commit to it full time. But it was one of the hardest things I've ever done being cut prematurely to do it. Now, do I know people? I know I have friends that did one wholesale deal. They say, you know what? I'm in this thing. <laughs> they quit their jobs and decided to do real estate full time. And it worked for them. Some people that did the same thing, it did not work for them. A lot of people, it doesn't work for them. So you hear a lot about the, the good side, but understand that it's not the norm. It's not, it does not for most people. So I recommend have a plan, mm-hmm. have a plan, execute the plan. And it's not going to be quick. It's going to be something that you're going to have to work towards every day because yeah, most of your time is being taken by your job. But if you're making your job millions or, hundred, or a lot of money, which most people make their job, help make the jobs millions of dollars. It is encumbersome of you to build something for yourself and then get to where, okay, now this is the goal that I have and then you can go ahead and walk away naturally and have something in plan. I'm not a big fan of just burning the boat just because I know how it was for me, but that's just based on experience, right? Mm -hmm. So I know some people that it's worked for, but it doesn't work for most people. (laughs) It doesn't work for most people. So uh, that's why I like to let people know, come up with a plan. 
and execute that plan. And the thing is, is that it's the daily things. We don't just arrive at the mountaintop. You have to go through the valley. It's the daily things that you do every day that compound. So put that time in. You get off work, put that time in. I don't care if it's an hour, two hours. Dedicate that non-negotiable towards your business and watch what happens in progression. And with everything that's going on right now in the economy, there's no better time than now to take control of your financial future and start putting in a real assets that produce cash flow, That's right. such as real estate, such as multifamily, such as hotels. My man, I appreciate you coming appreciate on the show, Appreciate you, dude. bro. This was fun, man. It's always, it's always great catching up, <laughs> Always man. a great we, time, um, bro. We got to get you out to San Diego one of these days. Done and so done. Maybe sometime this summer we'll get you out for one of our yacht meetups and we can uh, maybe record part two of this, uh, oh, this yeah. podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love that. And, and by that time, <laughs> we'll probably have some different kind of assets yeah. that we could be talking about, too. I love that, man. Well, listeners, I encourage you guys to all to go shoot uh, TJ a follow. He's doing big stuff in the space. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Peace. Peace.